Thank you, Ellen, not only for the skill in playing the song, but in the sensitivity in thinking to prepare it. I was sharing with her and our new member and choir director, Celio, this morning. First time I ever heard Deep River, I didn't know I was hearing Deep River. I was in Brazil, and they were singing this song called Rio Profundo, which means Deep River. And uh, it was uh, surprising to me to learn a new, I knew knew many from having sung in choirs, but a new Negro spiritual from our Brazilian friends. And um, it was meaningful to hear uh, that song again this morning. If you don't know the words at all, part of it says, and it is a theme that is consistent across many spirituals, uh, the message is essentially life on this earth is hard and it's challenging and and difficult, but it is but temporary. And one day we will cross the deep river, and the way it says in English, and we are going to cross over into campground, into a time of uh, peace in the presence of God. And so thank you, Ellen, for that this morning, a 400-year anniversary that brings all kinds of reflections and memories. So today, uh, for our message, uh, it is my privilege to welcome you to the last official one of the GOAT series. We are not going to slay a goat. We are not going to do anything crazy up here. But we are putting to bed the GOAT series, the greatest of all time, which we on the preaching team hope you have enjoyed. We hope you have grown in your hearing of the Word the presentation of the various messages, including the guest appearance by Scott Brown, our missionary to New Zealand who stopped in and did one of the series for us. And just a reminder, if you missed any of them, if you missed most of them, if you're the first timer today or you're the first time logging on online, we want you to know those, those are all available uh, through our website, through the listen and watch uh, buttons, and you can uh, be a part of catching up with those as part of your home Bible study, your home devotional and worship time, we hope you will, pathwaysbc.org. I will say it's been a blessing to receive your comments, your emails, some text messages uh, from folks who have participated both in person and remotely uh, online. So God bless you. Always like to say welcome to our online guest. Uh, and uh, I, I join with Pastor Paula and you all in thanking our tech team and especially our streaming crew for that, for that job. Also a reminder, Jonathan mentioned the, uh, the congregational meeting, the luncheon downstairs uh, right after church that has been uh, prepared by uh, Iglesia Bautista de Washington, our Latino partner congregation right down the hall. With great joy, they have prepared uh, our meal for us. As we take the time to transition from worship, to our annual congregational meeting where we will share about the many ways God has blessed us in the past year and the challenges and the vision for the year ahead based on our mission, our vision and values, our strategic plan. So in honor of all of that, I thought our GOAT series should conclude with a message on the greatest church meeting of all time. Now, perhaps… Perhaps I should have been a little more careful and called it the greatest 
congregational meeting so that I could emphasize how we are focusing more on the deliberative, decision-making part of the church rather than a, a worship service or some other type of discipleship or, or prayer gathering. And in just a moment, if you want to kind of pre-mark your Bible, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 15, what is commonly referred to as the Jerusalem Conference, where the early church was faced, there's no other way to say it, with a mess, a mess of confusion and division as they sorted through their mission as God's people. But since I wasn't so careful to talk about it as a congregational meeting in my title, I thought let's take just a moment to remind ourselves of some of the other great church meetings in the Bible. And when I say that, church is loosely defined to include the settings where God's people are gathering, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New, from Genesis to Revelation. I'm going to try to mention to you, and you'll see on the screen, various chapters or segments of the Scriptures so that you can jot those down if you want. You could if you want to go back this week and study some of these more in depth. But I want to mention to you a few of the really great church meetings that came close to being the greatest of all time. So there's this great story in 1 Chronicles 29 where King David in preparation for the building of the temple, gives a stewardship testimony in a gathering where they're all committing and pledging their support for the building of the temple, for this new house of God. And it is an amazing uh, example of the spirit of generosity when one recognizes that everything one has has been given to us by God, and giving it back to Him for such use is an amazing blessing. So that's, that's one of the great, great stories in the Bible. There's another one, and I'll give you a couple references, 2 Kings 22 and Chronicles 34. First uh, Chronicles, I think it is, First Chronicles 34. Uh, these two stories uh, go together. They, they are repeat versions of the story of the prophetess Huldah, which is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. She was a prophetess in Israel under the time of the good king Josiah. And you may remember, we call him the good king Josiah, not because he was amazingly successful. In fact, he dies on the battlefield, lots of bad stuff happens. But he's a good king because the two kings before him, this will blow your mind, right? The two kings of Israel, this is God's people. The two kings before him wanted to destroy all the copies of the Scriptures. They wanted to worship false idols and false gods. These were the kings. And so compared to these guys, Josiah was a genius and a gem and a great success. And so he wanted the nation, and here's why he was great. He wanted the nation to return to God. He wanted God's people to give God his due. And so what happened was, while they were going through some treasure chest uh, to try to, to pay some bills related to renovation, can I get an Amen. Yeah, this is how it works, people. Renovation's got to be paid for. That's the way it works. So they're digging through the treasury room. They find this chest. They open it up. Lo and behold, in the bottom of the treasure chest, they find a scroll, which turns out to be most or a part, maybe most, of the book of Deuteronomy. Surprise. Some of these folks, this is after two kings, folks. This is years, years. The people have not heard the Word of God taught and proclaimed. 
And so what happens, now I want you to remember this, this is important, you got to watch for the details. Josiah is the king. He is a man, a male, right? There is still a high priest who is a man, a male, right? So when they find the Scripture and it needs to be proclaimed, who does God send to proclaim it? Huldah the woman. Amen, sister. It's a great story to read. My sisters, please, 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 let me just say it to every woman in the room online and anybody who ever watches this at ever any time in the future, do not allow the weak, incomplete, and I'm going to use the word pathetic, interpretations of the Bible by some who want to convince you that, quote, because I have heard this a million times, God doesn't call women to preach, or especially not if there's a qualified man around. There's only one problem with that. Somebody forgot to tell God that that was his opinion, because he had the king and he had the high priest, and he called out Huldah to do this. The Bible makes it clear. It was a great meeting. You got to read the rest of it for yourself. There's another great meeting, and I would actually kind of cheat just a little bit and call it a series of meetings, the gatherings that we see in Acts chapters 1 and 2, where the story of Pentecost, of course, is the great meeting where the Holy Spirit comes to reside forevermore within the hearts of Christian believers. And that Spirit first comes in in this uh, gathering at Pentecost amazingly transforming the early church. But then there's these resulting series of meetings by the church so famously talked about in Acts 2, 42 and following. Remember where they were gathering weekly, day, excuse me, daily in each other's houses, worshiping and, and studying. And it says, they, listen, they were giving, let me write this all down. Now I wrote it down, let me quote, devotion to the apostles, apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to remembering the Lord's death and resurrection, because that's what it means when it says they were breaking bread, and to prayer. So they were doing this every time. Folks, that is what we are to imitate. We are to focus on the apostles' teaching, the Word of God. We are to give ourselves to fellowship with one another. And as we break that bread to remember, it is always symbolic of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus that brings us into His family, and we are to give ourselves to prayer. You know what's not mentioned there? Music style is not mentioned there. Forms of doing this, forms of the clothes that we should wear to to, to gather. How many people are necessary to do that? What technology was available to them they should use or should not use? These were not the conversations. To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of prayer, remembering the Lord's sacrifice and prayer. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. And if you're new to this, amen means I agree with that and understand that's what the Bible is teaching here. That's what we're about. In another place, the Bible puts it in this way. God is seeking worshipers who worship Him in spirit and truth. And if you worship God in spirit and truth, those are the things that you will do. 
And it was a great series of meetings. One last couple of meetings I want to mention to you, and these are ones you can look forward to. It is my, I'll be there, and I certainly hope to see all of you there. They're they're recounted in Revelation chapter 5 and chapter 7. These meetings that were seen by John as a vision of the future, okay? So that includes us. And after seeing our new members class today, I'm even more sure that it includes us because it says people from every tongue and tribe and nation will gather around the throne of God and worship Him. I mean, I am a redneck from Virginia, and I sang songs in like five languages this morning. You think I grew up in Lebanon, Virginia, singing in Korean? I didn't even know what a Korean was. Spanish, Portuguese, French, I saw all those this morning. Thank you, worship team, for reminding us what anticipation. That's going to be a great meeting. I intend to be there. How about you? I'll welcome you there. Give your life to Jesus. We'll all have a great time there. So, now, those are all the meetings we aren't going to study today, okay? So, let's get to the one that we are, the messy meeting. Oh, Of course, Pastor, you're going to focus on the messy meeting, Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem conference. Now, some of you may be a little surprised. If you're Baptist, probably not so much. But some of you might be a little disappointed that the greatest church meeting of all time, that I'm starting it off by describing it as a mess. It's a confusion. It's loaded with conflict. And as Baptist Christians… Everything we know is supposed to be done with decency and order and unanimous agreement, right? Yeah, not so much. The sweet fragrance, I call that the sweet fragrance of idealism. Now, the, the truth is I am a bit of an idealist. My, the people who know me best, I'm, a, I'm an optimist. Occasionally they throw out the word naive, but that's pretty rare for me. I am an idealist and an optimist, but here's the thing. When you study something like Acts 15, you discover pretty quick, you better learn how to live with disappointment because nothing ever quite reaches the towering heights of the vision your idealism can create in your mind. Now, if you're out there today and you're an idealist or an optimist, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you aren't, you're thinking, what are they talking about? (laughs) But but that's part of it. And here's the thing that I can tell you, and we've talked about this in some other messages in this series. Disappointment, unmet expectations, those things are a staggering influence in many lives today. Now, as we talk about the church in particular, A lot of folks have idealistic views of the church. They must because they're always talking about how disappointed they are in the church, and the only way you can be that disappointed would be if you had some great idealistic vision. If you look at the early church in the book of Acts and you see this church that God used, folks, there is no denying it, to change the world. Now, understand, they didn't change the world. God used the church to change the world. There's a difference. Where the power is coming from and who it's based upon, Jesus with the power of the Spirit through the church. That's, that's all the reality. But we see that. We say, wow, they changed the world. Wouldn't it have been wonderful to be a part of that congregation? Everything seems to have gone so right. Don't you believe it? Not for a moment. The New Testament church had a lot of tough moments. Read any of those letters in the New Testament, and it'll stun you some of the stuff Paul has to address. 
It's impressive to me that the Holy Spirit, inspiring those New Testament writers, did not hide those failures. It did not hide those gritty details from us. Sometimes I think the Holy Spirit knows us so well. He has to encourage us by letting us know there are people just as rotten as we are that God has done amazing things through. There's hope, folks. There is hope. There is hope. Now, one of my idealistic tendencies is to, when I consider a scenario or a possibility, I, I tend to think the best. Things are going to break in the right direction. So when I get asked to help with a wedding, I want you to know, man, I feel so positive. I get the warm fuzzies. It's rare for me not to cry at the wedding, get choked up in some of the premarital counseling sessions. I mean, you just, I just know how things are going to turn out so well for them. After 30 years as a pastor, <laughs> stop it, Allison. Can, can, can I tell you what else I've learned? I've learned that all of us who get married, you know who we marry? A sinner. And you know who they married? A sinner. And if we wait long enough, you know what's going to pop up in the middle of all that? Some sin. It just, it, it just happens. It's, 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 you know, you can be idealistic and hope, but I, you, you can't be surprised. You know, you can't be surprised when people who have such a bent towards sin pop up and do that from time to time. It's just natural. It's true in marriages. And oh, by the way, it's the same thing for a church. When you're a part of a church, there are times when you're going to see blatant sin that you just, you're just stunned by, and, and people are going to disappoint you. It's just a reality. I love that. Wherever two or three are gathered in His name, there He is in the midst of them. That is absolutely true, as He promised. It is also true that as those two or three remain together and try to build community, it will always turn messy at some point. It will. It will. Whenever people get together, sooner or later, idealism takes a hit with a dose of painful reality because we struggle to communicate. We struggle to, 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 to really get through to one another and understand one another. And because in our flesh we are innately selfish, messiness will often shape the state of the church. We see this very vividly in Acts 15. I hope you got your Bibles open there. And I'm arguing that this chapter today contains the story of the greatest congregational meeting of all time. And I'll even go a step further. I think it's one of the most important stories in all of the New Testament because rather than a great but messy beginning, which is what happened, a great but messy beginning. It could have been a beginning of the end before the thing even gets going meeting. That's what could have happened for the early church. All that wonderful stuff in the first 14 chapters of the book of Acts could have been for absolutely nothing had the people of God not handled the controversy in Acts chapter 15 correctly under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So let's get a quick backdrop summary of this. Acts 14 verse 26 begins the story. Well, it doesn't really begin the story. It, it begins the conclusion of the missionary journey, the first one for Paul and Barnabas. And here's what it says. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch. 
where they had been committed, they'd been ordained, they'd been set apart, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. Now, I love this because of its direct connection to what we do, to us. One of the most exciting pieces of our annual congregational meeting every year is the missions report. And I can only tell you, I've cheated, I've looked ahead at Pastor Clark's uh, PowerPoint show, and it is going to be a great blessing and a cause of great rejoicing, I think, today. So, looking back at the Bible story, that verse, 1426, they, they sailed back where they'd been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. If you're reading the Bible, that's, a, that's just a kind of a setting verse, you just kind of keep going, right? Yeah, hold on just a second. Let's just take a little bit closer look, because if you were to look in your entire book of Acts, it goes back to the beginning of chapter 13, the call of the Holy Spirit. Paul and Barnabas set out on this missionary journey. They went through tremendous challenges. You might remember on his first journey, Paul had been stoned, and I don't mean with, <laughs> with marijuana, stoned with rocks, okay? He got stoned with rock. I got to say that younger generation never seen a stoning, right? So I got to make sure we understand him, right? So Paul had been stoned. And listen, when they threw rocks at you, they didn't throw one or two little gravel to get you running up the street. They threw good big rocks to try and kill you. That's what it was about. He'd been, matter of fact, it was pretty successful because you remember, he was left for dead. They thought they got the job done. Kind of like when they put Jesus in the tomb. They thought they had got the job done, but watch out. God's pretty good at this resurrection thing. Another part of the missionary journey, Paul gets deathly ill. So all this bad stuff, then they had been slandered. People had said the most horrible things about these church leaders. Can you, yes, some of you can imagine that. Then they completed the trip, it says, and it says they got the job done completely. They completed the mission, fulfilled the work that God had given them to do. Now, after all that, they've come back to Antioch from this successful missionary journey, which was marked in particular by the spiritual awakening of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, everybody else in the world, okay? Sometimes referred to as the Greeks, but it means all these other non-Jews. And so the, 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 the gospel had kind of done a, a, a revival, and you'd think that the church would just have this big celebration party. But... I'm in the toughest three-letter word, three letter word in the English dictionary, right? But not everybody is happy. Shocking, I know. There were some dissenters, some folks from the church in Jerusalem in particular. And when we say the church in Jerusalem, you understand that's like saying a person from Washington, D.C. You're, you're going to know something about the politics of what's going on. You, you're going to be more aware. It's always amazing to me when I travel to other cities. Oh, yeah, there's, there's that Congress thing there. They remember some guys are in the Republicans and some folks are in the Democrats. They, yeah, see, they might not remember, you know, maybe one or two of them get their names in the news. Whereas here, it's just like all-consuming fire, right? So for them, if you're in Jerusalem, what do you think the issues were? Well, of course, they were related to their Jewish traditions, Everybody who was in the Christian church practically was a former Jew, or a, they considered themselves a continuing Jew, a Jewish Christian. So they still highly valued all the Jewish traditions, especially circumcision. And they basically came up with an idea without having put the letters to paper that you had to become a Jew before you could become a Christian and receive salvation. 
And so in Acts 15, you'll see some men came from there to the church in Antioch, and they began to teach, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Wow. Now I want you to notice something. The Bible does not say some men sent from God. No, nope, doesn't say that. Notice it does not say some men sent by the Jerusalem church. Nope. These were some self-appointed folks who decided they needed to kind of get their agenda on, you know, on the front burner. Now, folks, they came and they did that and they caused this problem. And I just want to ask you, I thought about asking, have you ever, and then I realized there's absolutely no point in asking that question. Because if you're here today and you're breathing air, you've been in a situation where something has been going good for you, you have perceived that God is at work, and somebody else self-appoints themselves to kind of rain on your parade and be a downer on it and to question it and challenge you. And so maybe the question is better, how often have you had the experience that when you're on a roll, something wonderful is happening, and into that moment, something where you see God at work in your life, and into that moment comes somebody who throws a wet blanket on the whole thing. They look at this thing that you think is a blessing from God, and they put an entirely different spin on it, and they kill the joy and blunt the effective movement forward of the whole thing. Wow. Because that's exactly what happened in the greatest church meeting of all time right there in Antioch. In the middle of all their enthusiasm, in the middle of their excitement, some folks came from outside, began to assert this pharisaical, Judaistic, legalistic perspective saying, something's wrong here, and chopped off their joy at the knees. And they say, a Gentile cannot be saved unless he is circumcised and upholds all the law of Moses. Remind me where Jesus said that. Oh, yeah, he didn't. Remind me where that's said in Scripture. Oh, yeah, it isn't, okay? So these are just their opinions, all right? Folks, let's understand something very, very clearly here. Conflict arises even among well-meaning people, even among well-meaning church people. I'm, I'm going to give this much slack and say, to be fair to these men of Jerusalem who went to Antioch, I don't believe that they set out to cause division. They were believers, evidently. They were followers of Jesus, but they had inherited a lot of traditions millennia long in their cases, carried deep in their souls, and they could not separate their traditional habits from biblical instruction of God, from true scriptural teaching and wisdom. They simply couldn't. They had always believed. How many times have you heard somebody say, I've always believed? They had always believed, parentheses, incorrectly, <laughs> 
They had always believed incorrectly that a person could not be a child of God unless he would follow the law of Moses and unless he or she was circumcised. So if any new people, those outsiders, the Gentiles, those different people, were going to come into the church and be a part of the movement of the people of God, and it doesn't really appear that they were all that keen. They weren't running the Jerusalem church was evidently not running a Gentile inclusion campaign, the Gentile church growth campaign. They evidently were not keen on the idea. But they said, even if it is going to happen, they're going to have to do it. Are you ready? You ready? Just the way we've always done it. Gosh, I've never heard that before. <laughs> I've never said that before. Yes, of course I have. Of course, we, we know it's been said. Now, here's the thing. It's easy for us to look at this and say, these Jewish guys telling the Christians, you got to become a Jew first. You got you to get circumcised. You got to do these. That's just, how could they be so stupid? Well, it's easy to think that when you got 20 centuries of Christian history to look back on and understand the battles over you are saved by grace through faith. Thank you, brothers and sisters. Yeah, now we got, we got 2,000 years of that. We've all had printed Bibles available to us for 500 years now. These guys, they were dealing with a lot of traditions. Circumcision was a big deal for them for being a part of the people of God. It didn't look dumb to them. And that's an important perspective for all of us to remember in situations where people resist something new happening, when they resist change, like, oh, I can't think of anything right now. Yeah, okay. If you believe that, talk to me later. Uh, it's just a part of what happens. This is why you study all those change seminars at work and how you help people take on new ideas. And churches have to realize it's the same kind of thing. So that when we talk about new ideas in Bible study classes, when we debate during committee meetings, when we discuss and vote on things in congregational meetings, we have to remember that there are people present among us who come from different perspectives with different backgrounds, and before we disrespect them, we need to try and understand where they are coming from. I told Paula, I thought today, I got a new idea for one of the things you have to do to be a member of Pathways Baptist Church. You have to be able to take a list of the new members and read the last names correctly. Wow. God, God bless you, and thank you all for your patience with us when we don't do so well with that. We, we try very hard. But I just thought about that's so, so different, right? We've got to understand people come from all over the world to be a part of the body of Christ, and we have to be able to understand different perspectives. Now, so that's the grace part, but you've got to hear this next part. The Scriptures also point out that even though they may have thought they were doing the right thing, though you might argue they were working from a good intent, they absolutely put a wet blanket on the church's joy, and all of a sudden, instead of worshiping God and giving Him glory, they're in a fight, a messy fight, dissension. Look at Acts 15, verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into, say those next two words with me, sharp dispute. Sharp dispute and debate with them. Folks, I looked it up. Sharp dispute, it doesn't mean they called them into the office for a quiet chat. 
It means they were arguing. It means they were vociferous. They were riled up. And let's understand who we're talking about, right? Paul and Barnabas. The guys just came back from the mission trip. They're missionaries. They were, as we were reminded in the verse, ordained, set apart by the church to do this thing, right? They go and do it, and they follow God, and they come back, and people are complaining about what God is doing. And so they stand up, they get riled up. And so I just want to say, when that kind of stuff happens, don't, don't think, oh, well, you ought to just be calm and, and say nothing about it. No, these spiritual leaders respond. They understand. They, they were compelled by the Spirit and by their calling to defend the work of the gospel that they were doing. So here's what they do. The Antioch church says, wow, we got a problem. They ask the apostles and elders from the mother church in Jerusalem for assistance in solving this dispute. And they do. They take action. And this is interesting because if you read the whole story, we're not going to do this today. We simply don't have time. You read this whole chapter, you'll see there are some different perspectives. There's some different thoughts and opinions amongst even the leaders. But what they do understand is that on the big picture, on the issues about how we're going to move into the future in obedience to the gospel work going into all the world, all for time, with the whole church, boy, they got to be united. There's only one direction for the church, and that is forward, people. That is forward into the world, into the future, into understanding that the gospel is for everybody, everywhere, all the time. And I think that's why Gordon MacDonald, who I, just, I love what he wrote about this, he said, if this meeting had not gone well, it probably would have divided and paralyzed or neutralized the movement of the early Christian followers and the church as we know it across the centuries would never have happened. I believe it was a more significant moment than even the Reformation. Wow. It is to… Uh, let me help Gordon MacDonald out. Gordon, it's the GOAT. It's the greatest of all time. It's the greatest church conference of all time. So what happens? Let me give you the wrap-up and we'll be done. What happens at this great meeting? How does it play out? So they're talking this over, and Peter speaks, acknowledged as the leader of the apostles, the disciples, after Jesus ascends to heaven. When Peter speaks, he stresses that God has accepted the Gentiles just as he accepted the Jews. You know how the Gentiles are saved? I told you earlier, do you remember? By grace through faith. Do you know how the Jews were saved? By grace through faith. <laughs> if you go up and read the Old Testament correctly, that's what, the law is just a teaching tool. You don't get saved by following the law. The Bible's clear on that in the Old and the New Testament, okay? So, Peter speaks, he's emphasizing this. Now, here's what it says. Look, are you looking? Verse 12, it says, when he finished, the people were silent. And then Paul and Barnabas get up to speak, and they describe the wonders that God has been doing during their past months on this mission trip and what he had done amongst the Gentiles. And what does it say? They were silent. Do you know why? Because they were actually listening. And we can all look at each other and say, this is the great struggle of America today. 
whether it's in church, whether it's on the street about politics, whether it's in the newspaper, whether it's on CNN or any of those other channels, people don't listen. Be quiet and listen once in a while. And that's what these guys were doing in the Antioch church. They were listening carefully to the appointed, recognized, proven leaders of the church. They knew it was time to listen. And so finally, James, the brother of Jesus, who's often referred to as the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, he speaks. And I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit today. I need some grace from you guys. You got a little grace for your pastor? Okay. There a few of you, thank God. Maybe I'll still have a job at the end of the day. Okay. It, it, because it could seem very self-serving for me to point this out, but folks, all I'm doing is teaching the Bible, okay? If it's here, it's here. I can't put, I didn't write it in, I can't take it out, that's above my pay grade, okay? Here's what you see, what happens with James. After they listened, look at James. He does not call for a vote. <laughs> he sums up what they've heard. He supports it with Scripture from the book of Amos. And in verse 19, look at it, he says, it is my judgment, therefore, as a spiritual leader, as a man who has prepared himself, as God has called, God has ordered, God has put in, this is what I am doing. This is, I'm the person that God put, that I'm making a judgment. And he provides spiritual and practical guidance on the basis of his calling, his experience, his relationships, and the spiritual authority that was his as the recognized leader of the Jerusalem church. To make it simple, I'll put it to you this way. He was the leader, and he led. Now, I say this because when we read the Scripture earlier, Dave did such a great job of reading that passage earlier in the service. God gives gifts and callings to different ones. We need all of those things and all those folks. But we shouldn't complain when givers give and when administrators administrate or when leaders lead. And then James gives his insight with this summary. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. My friends, this is our church's mission and the mission of world missions in a nutshell. We should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. If we could just get out of our own way and get out of God's way, we'd be stunned by the revival that could take place. We have a whole world to win. We got to do our best to make sure that people who are currently outside of the faith, who are different from us, are made to feel as welcome as possible. We're still going to adhere to the key convictions of the gospel, but we're not going to add, as the Judaizers did, our historical traditions on top of that so that people feel unwelcome. We, we want to keep it clean so that people can feel welcome whether they are Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, male or female, American or international. It doesn't make any difference. That was the conclusion of the Jerusalem conference, and it is the spirit that guides Pathways Baptist Church. And then James proposed congregational action. He said, let's send a letter together. 
Let's get some folks and send them with our letter to the Gentile believers and say, you know what? Try not to be needlessly offensive to the Jews. We want to make sure that we understand what unity is and caring for one another, but you don't have to worry about these other things. You don't have to be circular. They, they define the letter. You can read it for yourself. And it says that the action was so wise that the church did exactly that. It sent the letter. It achieved unity through consensus. They selected people to deliver the letter. And it brought further joy and clarity to the church in Antioch and to the Gentile churches who celebrated. And then you know what else they did? And then they kept some folks there to teach them further on these same topics. They said, you know, while we were fighting about that, probably we need to get better grounded. And they got better grounded. Amen. You see, otherwise you keep making the same mistake over and over again. Folks, this was the greatest church meeting of all time. Two results. The church conference made sure that the essence of the gospel was not compromised. That's important, folks. The book is the book, okay? The Bible, that's… Jesus gave the Word, God gave the Word. We are, we are following the Word, inspired by God. But the second thing they did was they preserved their greater unity by clarifying their vision and mission. That's what we're going to do in our annual congregational meeting today. But I want to say, friends, as we now are at Pathways, 20 centuries after this GOAT meeting in Jerusalem, I think we need, to, we need to think about verse 19 following and walk in the spirit of that. We must stop making it harder and harder for people outside the church to hear and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know we don't mean to do that, but too often we make it difficult for others who don't know the lingo, who don't act in a particular specific way based on our traditions. We make it especially difficult for the young, the postmoderns, the millennials, immigrants, all kinds of people who we just want to see make a commitment to follow Jesus. That's what we're here for. That is the mission. Let us not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. Let's pray. Lord, may your spirit from that greatest church congregational meeting of all time, be present always in our midst at Pathways. May we remember the joy of, sal of our own salvation and long with great passion for others to find it as well. That is our prayer today in Christ's name. All the people of God agreed and said, amen.